This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I'm here. Edward Fraser is me, filling in for Ken Campbell. I got full playoff beard in effect. One more game. I'm also rocking the... uh, out of work literary professor <laughs> look. Yeah, you're definitely a, a philosophy TA or something. I, I love your poetry. I this is your jacket. It is. It's borrowed. It's I didn't not have my shirt. I didn't have a I didn't have a or my face. I didn't have a fancy enough t shirt for producer Steven over here. <laughs> so he suggested. And then he gives me water with something floating in it. Hey. Steven! <laughs> We're off to a great start. Get your stuff together. See, I think you look more like a movie producer, like a hotshot movie producer. I don't know. That's the vibe I'm getting right I like now. it. The go. glasses probably lend to the look. But the, the, and the, the beard. beard. The beard with the movie producer? Well, yeah. Everybody, everybody just listening to this is really missing out on this goal. Yeah, it's true. You're but like Scottish Orson Welles. At the Rosemont! At the same time, they are saved from having to look at me. So True. bonus for them. Uh, with me today, to you. with me today on the podcast, Matt Larkin, back from three weeks. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, away in Boston, sick. and then uh, sick, and you know, yeah. doing my thing. Uh, cup was good. Cups cup is good. Cups is cups. Atmosphere, cups, atmosphere, cups. Atmosphere was good. Atmosphere was great, and the Bostonians were great, and they were proud of their winning every championship in every sport at the same time. Is there any city that deserves to be more cocky at this point? Oh man! Like just walk. You just—they just strut the streets in Boston. Well, that kid. Now. We all know that kid by now, right? The kid meme with that sign. That little kid who's like, "I am 13 years old. And since I was born, I've witnessed." And he lists like 58 <sighs> championships. Like that kid can go to hell. Well, maybe. <laughs> I want strong that take out of context. <laughs> that kid can go to hell. Maybe, maybe by this time, the, pe- the most people will be listening to this. Toronto will have something to strut about mm. as NBA championships. But that's of no concern to us here on the Hockey News. Literally in the name. Hockey News Podcast. Hockey. Ryan Kennedy on my right, not that it matters, uh, where he is seated. Um, boys, maybe we talk about the Stanley Cup. Let's do it. Probably a good idea. Yeah. Seems like a logical good topic. start. Uh, game 7, did the Blues blow their chance to win this series by failing to win in Game 6? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it's Boston in Game 7. And it's not necessarily about momentum. I just think that this Bruins team, this core has seen it all. Hmm. They have the experience. Game 7s mean very little to them other than this is a game we are going to win. You know, there is the idea of Jordan Binnington being a bounce-back artist early in his career. He's been very good in that regard. But there have been games where he has lost two in a row. There have been games, you know, like against Winnipeg where he gave up six and they lost. And then the next game he only gave up two, but they still lost. So I I could definitely see Bennington being very good, but also Tuka Rask being very good once again and Boston eking out uh, a game that's probably going to be very tightly contested. But I just I think the Bruins have that edge. Yeah, I agree. I think St. Louis, they had their shot. And I think 
It's very different being the Blues having a home game with your first chance to ever win a championship after being in existence for, what, 52 years? And seeing the zoomed out views of the city and all the townspeople ready to go crazy and just, it was really exciting, but it also showed how much pressure there was on the Blues. Whereas for Boston, it's like, oh, another another championship? Go go Red Sox, go Patriots, go Pats, go Bruins. It's just, it's just what... It's in their blood. Say right? chowder, Matt. Chowder, <laughs> chowder. Right? It's, just, it's in their blood, and I, and I think for that reason there's going to be no – I mean, yes, of course, there's pressure at home for a Game 7, but it's not going to be the same for the Bruins as it was for the Blues in Game 6 because the Bruins, they've been here before, and the entire culture of the team, it's a culture of winning. It's what they're used to. Uh, and I think if you look at body language, and, you know, obviously I'm more of a stats guy than a body language guy, but I think when the series is this close, you look for little intangible tiebreakers, and you could see the Blues and the building and Jordan Bennington deflate, I think, on the second Bruins goal Brandon Carlo and I've been watching Bennington throughout the series and even being at the first couple games you know you can see what happens behind the play when the camera's following the play and after certain moments Bennington I thought he's been very hard on himself and he's doing a lot of the kind of like the frustrated kid in road hockey who's like slamming a stick and kind of just huffing and puffing and he he seems like he's his own worst enemy Uh, and if you look at his stats in the series his best save percentage in any game is 919, which is pretty good, but that's not the save percentage of a goalie who's stealing any games. If you're mm. stealing games, you're in 930, that range and above, whereas Tuka Rask has been so good that he's been, when the Bruins are good in front of him, it's great, but if they haven't been as good, he's still been great. He's been so consistent throughout the entire playoffs, including in this series, so I still think that's also a huge edge for Boston going into Game 7, and uh, I'd like to say, no, the Blues are going to do it. They've been good on the road. But even territorially, if you look at the last couple games, it's starting to shift. I wrote down a few of the numbers and the shots even. 57-35, Boston at even strength mm-hmm. over the past two games. So it's it feels like the ice is starting to tilt in Boston's way. My main question at this point is, Steven... Did you put B12 in Matt's water? Because this kid is hyper. Am I? You're speaking a thousand miles a minute. You got a lot to say and you want to get it off your chest immediately. I drank some coffee before the podcast started. Mm. But but hey, 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 Eddie, if you want me to just Just calm it down a little bit, no problem. Come come on over to my poetry (laughs) slam. But it's it's cool, man. If you want me to slow it down, I need a little more hey, Ryan. I need a little more Ryan Kennedy out of you. All right. Oh, hey, it's Ryan Kennedy here. How's that? Okay, we so Ken. Ken. We need a Ken. Oh, that's true. Are you just Kenning it up? Just do Steve Carell. I can go get inflatable waving arm man off my desk <laughs> and bring him. Go go get him, Stephen. Bring no, him on in here. No. Uh, here's my thing about Bennington, though. I don't take him as a guy who's going to get rattled. Like, almost to a fault, he's been calm. Like, to a point where I've questioned at times, how grouchy is this guy? Because he just, he comes off and he's so, not aggressive, but like, just so, I don't want to talk to you, it's just about the game. Every loss, every win, it's just been, let's go, we got business, we got to go. I just don't picture him as a guy who's been rattled. That, along with... This is the 2019 playoffs where everything is backwards. We're living in the upside down. Right. Right. So I just don't think you can discount. and Because nothing has gone according to plan. So why would this? Yeah, it's funny. Even with all the evidence pointing towards Boston, I totally wouldn't be surprised if St. Louis won the game. And maybe it's, you know, like a 5-3, 5-2 game where <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly. Game, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, Ryan O'Reilly goes off and Tarasenko has a hat trick or Brett something. Brett Hall scores or, the game winning goal. Yeah, exactly. And his foot's in the crease. <laughs> yeah. What, what is, what, what's up with Brett Hall? He's having a good time out there. He's having a good time. Is he having a, this good of a time, though? <laughs> oh, it's down. Uh, it's drinking the water. For anyone drinking listening. Drinking the water. 
You just heard the sound of one of those wacky waving tube guys. Here's what I was thinking before we came on the air, though. Because we were originally just going to say, hot take, Ken, this is Ken waving his arm. For people who were just listening, all they would just hear was blowing air. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also the same as Ken. Which That's is true. just the same as Ken. Ken, we love you, but you're not here, so we're going to make fun of you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, games, anything else to cover Game 7? I mean, like... <laughs> who's your... <laughs> Who's your con snipe? Is is it pretty clearly Tukarask on Boston side and Ryan O'Reilly now on the St. Louis side? Ooh. That sounds about right. It's Rask for sure. The Blues to me is a little more difficult. Though, yeah, because Jaden Schwartz was so good like earlier in the playoffs, and I think you you do have to look at the full body of work. But it's people tricky. don't. I, I agree. You should. It's people. not the Stanley Cup. Sure. Award. It's not the same, but it, it does tend to be in the finals, and I think in the finals O'Reilly's been the He's best. He's got four goals yeah. in the series so far? If that yeah. sounds about right, yeah. Uh, the Ducks, let's move on to some trade reporting. Uh, reporting. Um, the Ducks are reportedly exploring a trade for Corey Perry. Uh, is there a deal out there considering this guy's salary, and who would want him? It's a good question, and it's understandable from the Ducks' perspective if they're trying to shop Corey Perry, which won't be easy because Corey Perry has a full no-movement clause, and 8.625 million uh, is the cap hit for Corey Perry. Uh, And he's a guy who scored six goals this year in 31 games, so he's clearly, his playing style has worn him down even quicker than it's worn down Ryan Getzlaff because Perry just plays more of a trenches Mm -hmm. game, right? Uh, It's it's not an easy trade. I think you're going to have to find a trade partner who, A, has a lot of salary space and is trying to get to the salary floor. Uh, and also, you're probably going to have to eat half the salary. So what I'm wondering is... And it's going to be a destination that Corey Perry wants to go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to have control over it. So I think it's more likely we're going to see no team get in on it, and then the Ducks are going to buy him out. Really? Two years left on the deal, and if you buy him out, he's going to go to UFA. And then I think from the Ducks' perspective, it's clear that they want to go young. It's, it's yeah. time now, right? And It's almost like we talked about it before on a recent podcast, Ryan Kessler... His career might be over, and it's opened a door already for some of the young kids, and it's time to just sort of pass the torch. I think Ryan Getzloff has more left in the tank than Corey Perry, so I don't think you have to push Getzloff out the door. And he's your team leader. You need some veteran leadership. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I don't think I'm taking that bait if I'm another team out there. No, I think. And but what, what what's a Corey Perry worth on the open market if... if well, if you're making that trade, then you're essentially trading to get him off your roster. So right. it's like a Corey Perry and yeah, and a fifth for some minor leaguer that hmm. no one's gonna miss. I I will say that if you're gonna take a chance on a guy, and I think you know the idea of eating salary to make this happen obviously helps. Also, in terms of real dollars, you're saving a little bit of money on Corey Perry in the next two years because just of the way that contract was structured, his cap hit is 8.6, but the real dollars, I think, are only 8. So for a team like Arizona, where they're always very conscious of the budget, and you say to yourself, okay, well, it's only two years, and we need to spend the money anyways, and maybe he could find a scoring touch again if his role is a bit different, if expectations were a little more muted. Arizona seems like the the fit, if I can use the word, just because of all that stuff. Um, you know, And then you look at a couple of other teams that have a lot of cap space, Philadelphia, and then the Columbus Blue Jackets to me would be interesting because most likely they're going to need a scoring winger that makes a lot of money. Uh, keep, it, keep it together, Matt. Don't but, cough. Yeah. 
Obviously, Corey Perry is not Artemi Panarin at this point in his career. But if Columbus needed some sort of stopgap and they thought they could get something out of Corey Perry for the next year or two, I mean, you can eat, you can have this dance again next year where you say, well, do we need to buy out Corey Perry, whoever he's employed by? <laughs> um, but if, you're, if you want to take advantage of the situation, I mean, Columbus desperately needs draft picks for, the, for 2019. I think they have two, if I'm not mistaken, a third and a seventh. So if you could go to uh, Anaheim and say, hey, you guys have a lot of draft picks, give us a couple of those and we'll take Perry off your hands. Maybe there's something there. But this is all sort of within the realm of uh, Anaheim's best-case scenario. You've got to sweeten the pot, I think. Totally. Corey Perry is not waving to go to Columbus. No, doubtful. Probably I think maybe, maybe to go to a team like San Jose, but that's a team that couldn't yeah. afford him cap-wise. To me, it's like you have to sweeten the pot significantly because otherwise you're better off just saying, well, how about let's not trade something to get Corey Perry. Let's wait on Anaheim to buy him out and then sign him for a lot less. Because sure. mm. you're still paying at minimum $4.3 million, right, if, you, if, if Anaheim ate half the salary, right? So, mm. I, I, excuse me, I don't see it happening. Um and a disclaimer out there, okay, when we're talking about Arizona, which we do every single year when it comes to a team with a high salary or, or trying to get to a salary floor, let's remember, it is not cap floor. If you say cap floor, you're saying ceiling floor. Mm. And you don't say cap ceiling, that means ceiling, ceiling. It's the salary <laughs> floor and it's the salary what? cap. The cap is the top. Right. There's no such right. thing as a cap ceiling. That's a ceiling ceiling. It's a hat on okay? a hat. And you don't say this team needs to get to the cap floor because the cap's the top. That's the ceiling floor. Salary floor, salary cap. Okay. You don't even need the word ceiling, okay? That's a disclaimer for the signing season for everybody. We'll revisit that on the podcast before July 1st, or hopefully not. Right. Matt's English lesson corner. We're over that. William Sapphire. Uh, Well, you know what? Okay, we're talking free agency. Let's talk about some free agency. Jeff Skinner re-signs the Sabres eight years $72 million. For those of you who don't, uh, ca- uh, don't have a calculator at the, at the ready, that's $9 million a year for a guy who had, I believe, four goals in his final 25 games, two of which came in the last game of the season. So that's a two-for-24 stretch. Mm. At the Bobby Ryan-esque. $9 million. Uh, I'm not surprised Over? at all. Okay, yeah, okay. Not surprised. That's the exact contract that I've been calling for about six months for Jeff Skinner. Right. Because mm-hmm. in Buffalo, you have to, uh, kind of like in Edmonton, it's not traditionally a super popular free agent market with bad weather. You have to overpay, and it's just sort of a fact of life. So I think the $9 million is not necessarily the Sabres saying, yes, he's going to score 50 goals, he's worth $9 million. It's sort of an admission with Buffalo saying, we know we're giving you an extra million dollars compared to what other teams probably would, but that's what it's going to take to keep you. And I think for the Sabres, it's a matter of, you know, he did have the slump, but he also got hurt. Yeah, I think it was an ankle injury in the second half. Um, Still scored 40 goals. And at 27, because Skinner broke into the league at such a young age, he's not that old for mm-hmm. UFA. Like, in five years, he'll be 32, and he's a fast player. Uh, so, to me, I understand it because of your Buffalo, a team that really needs to get Jack Eichel into a playoff game. Yes. And you let Jeff Skinner go. You know who you're looking for in free agency? Uh, you know who we could really use? A Jeff Skinner. Yeah. So, you just got to pay up. I get it, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I totally agree with all of that. The weird thing is, it's $1 million less than Jack Eichel is making. So it's like, is Jeff Skinner only $1 million 
less valuable than a pure number one center no, who but is a guy just coming, no, but 22 years it's old. A guy, no, 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 absolutely not. But it's a guy who's coming into to UFA versus a guy who's coming Yeah, and I mean, that's sort of the flaw in the whole economy of the NHL is, is how these things work out. Sure. But I, I agree. You have to keep Jeff Skinner in Buffalo because you're trying to build a culture of winning and you're trying to build a franchise up. And you can't be losing valuable assets to the open market. You have to sort of plant your flag in the ground and say, you know, we want the Sabres to go to the next level. It's not going to be easy, but we need all hands on deck. And I think Skinner is the type of guy that it just sends a really positive message to the rest of the team that, you know, we want to make this work and we're trying to put all that, we're trying to put that puzzle together. Okay, I'm convinced. I, I was ready to say ridiculous overpay, don't spend it. But okay, that's fair. You've, you've got to compete there. But you're in a you're in a division with Tampa, with Toronto, with Boston. Who's none of these teams are on Montreal's up and coming too. You're gonna have trouble making the playoffs. So I guess if what what do you do now as Buffalo to crack that? Because Jeff Skinner alone, you had Jeff Skinner last year. Yeah, forty goals out of Jeff Skinner last year. So how do you get over that hump if you're if you, so how do you get the Sabres to the next level? How do you get them into the playoffs? Because it's not just Jeff Skinner. Ralph Kruger. Ralph. Ralph Kruger is coach. But the, and you know it's the sort of incremental building that Jason Botterill has been doing, where he recognizes that Rome wasn't built in a day, and this is a team that was really in the gutter a couple of years ago, and slowly they're building things up. Where now you have Jack Eichel, you have Rasmus Dahlin, you know you have Casey Middlestat finding his way in the NHL. And you're going to have another fairly high pick this summer, which will help. I just think that with the Sabres, they need to keep moving in the, the right direction. And, you know, Kruger has inspired some very good play in the teams he has coached. And I think that when you look at this year's playoffs, you had the Wild Card Chaos Squad uh, that did very well. I think the attitude amongst most NHL teams right now is... Just get in. Just get in. Mm-hmm. And if you can make that happen, you never know. Like, maybe, like, Tampa is beset by injuries next year. And it's just one of those fluky years where maybe Tampa they miss Tampa by a point. again. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they play Columbus 82 games <laughs> and uh, they get swept. But you, you, you can't assume at this point that you're going to lose. You have to have some sort of positive outlook that this team is coming together. There's some great young pieces. And with a new coach who is very motivational, maybe you can make something happen. So do you try to go out and find another guy in the open market? Yes, you do. And that's that's the thing. Because right now, we know that what was missing from Buffalo this year, unfortunately, was Ryan O'Reilly. And it's not to play hindsight 2020 with the trade, but I think a few things went wrong. Where Whereas, one, they were betting really big on Casey Middlestat breaking out and being the number two center. But defensively, there was nobody to take those tough matchups away because mm-hmm. Patrick Berglund, his entire kind of career and everything that went wrong with him, he was just basically a non-factor in that trade. And that really hurt that, that veteran center element of the trade, put too much pressure on Middlestad who didn't have the year people were expecting. So I think what you need to do now is get another veteran center. And this is a year to take a shot, even though the competition's fierce. Buffalo's got a lot of cap space, which is why I think, again, it was fine to, to overpay Jeff Skinner. They don't have any restricted free agents that are going to break the bank this year, so it's a good window to do it. If I'm Buffalo, a guy I would go after is Matt Duchesne. Right. Because, again, you can afford him. Mm. Uh, and, yes, it's possible that, you know, you sign Matt Duchesne and you lose 
lose as well. You lose again, and then you have these two two nine million dollar UFAs that you've signed. And but at the same time, it's like you got to take your shot. You have you're getting close to a sort of critical juncture where you got to get Jack Eichel into the playoffs. And also, this team could be better next year just by virtue of Rasmus Dahlin continuing to be awesome and then playing you know sure. twenty seven minutes a game or something next year. That's entirely possible. So I think if the Sabers go and get another marquee forward, and it's a good year to do it. You have the money, and it's a really good free agent class at forward this year. You followed Ministad very closely throughout his career. It is does he have how much room is there for him to improve? Can he be the number two guy? Oh yeah, there's tons of room for improvement. And I think, you know, the problem is that Middlestat was so good so early that and and you know, he made his mark early on when he when he first came to the Sabres at the end of that season and uh, and put up points. It was like, ooh, next year when he's a full-fledged rookie, he's going to be awesome. But, you know, it's going to take some time where he still needs to get stronger. He still needs to round out his defensive game. And the Sabres are working on that with him. And, you know, fortunately, those are things that you can have an impact with and you can, you can help him mm-hmm. reach that next level. So it's going to take time. And, you know, I, I would say, like, look at Dylan Strom. Like, it took Dylan Strome several years and a team switch for him to really lock in as an NHLer. I think Middlestat, you know, he probably doesn't even need that long, but expectations need to be tempered a bit. Let him grow into that role as number two center. And don't get discouraged if he needs to take a step back every once in a while because he is still very young. It did feel like expectations were maybe a little too high for not only him, but the team. Yeah, and especially, like, with Middlestat because... You know, he played at the World Juniors in Buffalo. <laughs> Sabres fans knew what he was capable of, at least at the junior level, before he even got to town. And and then, like I said, he had that great start. So the expectations were really high, and it's just a matter of letting him grow into that role as an NHLer. Uh, Matt, did you hear that uh, Jeff Skinner used to be a figure skater when he was younger? Really? I've never heard that story ever. <laughs> I think we should investigate in detail. Uh, keeping on with free agency, in our, in our last issue, which is our free agency preview issue, uh, Ryan, you had a great story about the negotiation window, which is what three years now, two years, three years. Has been? I think it's. I it might be it's, even up to it's five. longer. Yeah, because it, it? it came in with the last CBA. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that's a lot longer then. Um, you break it down on exactly what that means. Um, but Ryan, for those, I would recommend anybody pick up the issue. Uh, please subscribe uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, read the story in full, but give us some Coles notes about what you learned. Because it was an interesting story and, and stuff. A lot of stuff that I didn't know about the window. Yeah, I think what was most fascinating to me is I always kind of assumed that the ability for potential free agents to visit a city was more about seeing the city itself, you know, figuring out would this be a good place for me and my family if I have one and and, and that sort of thing. But it's it's really more about meeting with the staff um, based on the, the folks I talked to. It's, it's about figuring out what the coaches and the GM have in store for this potential free agent saying like, okay, here's where we envision you. Here's our culture. Um, you know, here's the style we want to play. And this is how we see you fitting into that. So it's really more about just getting a vibe from the team itself. Sure. You, you, you find out where the schools are and you find out, um, you know, what are the, the neighborhoods that the players are living in and, and things like that. But, you know, it's funny talking to agents 
they were sort of joking like, oh, I don't I don't like them to go to the cities too much because then they go to one and they're like, no, it's great. We'll stop here. And it's like, no, no, you got to like talk to other teams first. Surprising agents would want them to go and get as many suitors as possible to drive Exactly. Yeah. There's definitely some competing elements here. And um, I, I get into it a lot in the story about just how there's sort of those uh, competing needs where agents uh, you know, for some of these players, they, they want them to visit different places, get more bids, um, find out where everybody stands, you know, until that July 1st hits. Mm-hmm. And then nowadays, you know, we see like everybody sign on July 1st itself because they've pretty much already figured out what they're going to do. They just have to put, you know, pen to paper sure. and, and put the numbers out there. Um, whereas with teams, they can use it to gauge where a player may be leaning like if the meeting goes well okay is he going to come here you know can we count on that or are we going to have to go down the line to our next uh you know potential free agent so there's a lot that goes into that there's a lot of sort of like brinksmanship and and uh there's a lot of both the gms and the agents trying to gauge where they are and where uh the client belongs in that landscape uh, so a lot of interesting ins and outs. And the other thing that's kind of funny is, you know, when you talk to people off the record, they say, well, yeah, I mean, we've been doing this for years. We just didn't tell anybody. You know, <laughs> it's like there, there was always a pre-free agent window. Sure. You just didn't physically go to the city. And, uh, you know, it's like you're not supposed to discuss concrete money, but they do. I, I always wondered that. I yeah. mean, it's, yeah, you're not supposed to. You're tampering. Yeah, tampering. But, yeah. I mean, how are these guys not talking? Because you always wonder, how do these complicated deals get sorted out five minutes exactly. after the free agency window yeah. opens? They just, put, they just put a bunch of, like, grapes on the table and push them into Yeah, that's right. Shape. We're not talking about money. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just grapes. Um, Future watches. I want to talk about that. But, Matt, let's get into your hot take first. Because I want to finish up the NHL before we get into the future watch. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see... What you have to say in your hot take segment this week. It's not just a hot take, it's a mile high take. Get it? Because it's about shut, shut, shut the camera. Yeah, let's off. stop. Let's it's go over. Let's do it over. It's over. Yeah. So uh, in doing our research, you know, we had our free agency preview issue. We do a lot of studying teams in their cap situations at this time of year, and you start looking ahead. Uh, and to me, the pieces are starting to slide into place for the Colorado Avalanche to be a juggernaut next year, depending on how Joe Sackett plays things this offseason. Okay, so you already have a team that has one of the best, probably two lines in hockey, right, with Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Rantanen. Uh, you have a team that, as the eight seed, dethroned number one seed Calgary in the playoffs and pushed San Jose to seven games, even though the Avalanche are a young team. Uh, obviously, they're not, they're not a very deep team at forward. But if you look at what's happened, so yes, Miko Rantanen, he might make $10 million as an RFA on his next deal. But even so, uh, right now, the Avalanche have a projected cap space of $37.5 million. They're a team that's clearly on the rise. They have Semyon Varlamov coming off the books, and Philip Grubauer finally established himself as a starting goaltender, a good starting goaltender. You have Kale McCarr, the best drafted prospect in hockey, who parachuted into the playoffs and looked really good, and I think is going to be a Calder Trophy candidate, really brings a lot to the blue line next year. Uh, and they're going to pick, the Avalanche are going to pick fourth in the draft this year. They got Martin Kaut, 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 Kaut. Kaut from uh, the Czech Republic last year in the draft, another good prospect. So you've got your critical mass of prospects. You have a ton of money to spend. Uh, and I think Joe Sackick has been very smart in the last couple off-seasons and trade deadlines, playing things pretty conservatively, knowing that 
uh, he was he had a bigger long term game in mm-hmm. goal uh, rather than sort of jumping the gun after let's say Colorado made the playoffs ahead of schedule last year, and now you've got this summer where you have a ton of cap space. What does Colorado need forwards? What is abundant in this draft class? Forwards. So you could target guys like Joe Pavelski, get a veteran leader to come in, mm-hmm. a guy who, who, if he can't stay in San Jose, would still want to play out west probably. So that's just an example off the top of my head. But there are so many quality forwards available. So Colorado could actually really manufacture a nice second line. Maybe a Matt Zuccarello is another guy you would target. Uh, and then you have that scoring depth, and you already have the dominant line. Your defense is better. Your goaltending is improved. And the West is just so in flux. So we don't know what San Jose is going to look like because they have so many guys who are free agents. Uh, and I, the, the rest of the Pacific Division, you know, teams like Edmonton, it seems to just change every year. We don't know what's happening. Uh, so I think that Colorado coming out of the Central has a chance, depending on if Joe Sackick is as aggressive as I think he is, uh, I think Colorado is going to be a, a powerful team next year. It's incredible to me how close Joe Sackick, at least from our corner of the world, was to being fired. Yeah, it felt like it. And mm. then he pulls off <clears throat> the deal. The trade. The trade. Which, which I want to mention, because Samuel Girard is a guy who I think a lot of people overlook because mm. of Makar. That kid is fantastic. Oh, yeah. And and he he might end up being the best player coming out of that deal. Um, you know, and suddenly say now he's looking like one of the best GMs in the league. Like he's, you're right. He's got this team in great position. Um, I, I don't, I'm not even sure I'd call that a hot take. It's a reasonably thought out argument. Okay. Mm. It just feels weird because we've lived in this universe of Colorado always playing over its head and always being the team with bad analytics. Right. I, I haven't backed Colorado for so long, but mm. finally, I think we're seeing the moment for this team. Mm. Uh, Ryan, future watch. You're looking at a couple of players. Starting with Alex Turcott. Yeah, so the uh, draft combine was last week. I was there with uh, Stephen Ellis and producer Stephen Ellis. Producer Stephen, who's Ellis. done a much better job in the second half of the podcast. Very true. Really gotten his game back on yeah. track. Just here. like the Blues. He's like the same Blues, blues of podcast producer. Still did manage to get me a glass of water without something floating in it. Yeah, but, but you, still. but you're forgiven. It's just so, love. It's love that's floating in there. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, so Alex Turcott is a name that has been quite buzzed about in uh, the past month or so. Plays for the U.S. NTDP. Uh, obviously overshadowed a little bit by Jack Hughes, his teammate, and to a lesser extent Cole Caulfield, uh, because everybody loves the goal-scoring daring-do of the five foot seven and a quarter, according to the official draft combine uh, height and weight and a, chi- a child would say that, like Cole Caulfield. Five foot seven and a quarter. And a quarter. That's what he looks like. It's official, yes. <laughs> um, so Turcott missed a lot of time this year. He had a hip injury and then a... Apparently he also had mono, um, so his 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 games were limited. But when he was playing, he was quite good. And this kid has just an amazing motor. He's a great skater. Uh, his NHL pedigree. His dad is Alfie Turcott, and uh, apparently Turcott is just a fierce competitor. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the NCDP kids were talking about. You know, no matter what they do, if it's in practice, if they're playing video games, like Turcott has to win. That's just like his. His burning desire, and it sounds like a lot of teams were very impressed by this. And talking to some GMs and some folks at the combine, it really looks like that third overall pick that Chicago has might be Turcott, might be Bowen Byram, the defenseman from the Vancouver Giants. But Turcott is is definitely a prime candidate for the Blackhawks. We'll see how that unfolds. Uh, but that's kind of the the buzz there. He ended off the year strong, nine points in seven games at the World Under 18s. Um, another player who. 
got off or who ended his year real strong was Morgan Geeky um, of the Charlotte Checkers. They just won the Calder Cup in the AHL. Uh, of course, they are the Carolina Hurricanes farm team. Morgan Geeky, a player who you know was originally passed over in the draft, and uh, then Carolina got him out of Tri City in the WHL. Really hardworking kid, good size. He had 18 points in 19 playoff games this year, and uh, you know this was his first year of pro. So I think you know on a team that had some bigger names, you know Martin Nettish was a, a first rounder with Carolina, as so were Hayden Fleury and Jake Bean. Is Morgan Geeky, who was tied for second in team scoring hmm. behind Andrew Pawlowski, uh, who they got as a college free agent. Uh, so he, he's obviously a bit older, but uh, I, I was very impressed when I saw Geeky live and uh, just throughout the AHL playoffs, he was very good for the Checkers, who are now world farm champs. What's a, what's a timeline on him? You know what? I, I wonder if he'll at least get a crack at the roster next fall like I, I think you have to you got to give him a chance at main camp and see what he can do he's the type of player that can fit up and down your lineup and you know I saw him at Traverse City last summer with Carolina he was on a line with Stelia Mateos uh, from the Brandon Weekings and I, again they weren't the the main draw it was Netish and, and Andre Svechnikov but I, I thought the geeky Mateos line was really effective and uh, they, you know, they really drove possession. And they, they were really hard on the four check. So, I, I think Geeky, yeah, you, you at least have to give him a look. And you know, if he goes back to Charlotte, then I, I think he takes on an even more prominent role. But uh, I, I don't think it'll be too long. I guess it depends a bit on what uh, Don Waddell and McCain's do in free agency this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, time for the mailbag. Do we have a mailbag jingle? No. Mailbag. There we go. Just made it up. This is mailbag. That was the You've worst. got mail. That, no. Oh. oh, no. I mean, awful. That like, what is it? 2001? No, even 1999? Steven, can we get a mail? Can we get a jingle for the next mailbag? <laughs> no, not from you. Give us a proper damn jingle. You're losing it, Steven. <laughs> You're ending poorly. Just Start like the St. Louis Blues. blues. Oh, Call man. back. Uh, Ryan. Yes. Ryan, just at 76 Swanson, uh, asks, what do you think the Flames should do with James Neal? Matt, what do you think the Flames should do with James Neal? How do you solve a problem like James Neal? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because James Neal uh, is someone who obviously has had some pretty good peaks in his career and 40-goal score with the Pittsburgh Penguins and pretty good player for Nashville, power forward. But uh, Neal, I would say, also does not have the greatest reputation around the league. I think it's more prickly in, with media, but I think he's always been known as a guy that it's either going to work with him in your dressing room or it's not going to work. And I don't want to go as far as saying plays when he wants to, but it just feels like it didn't click. Maybe it was Bill Peters and him. I'm not sure. But I'm not that optimistic. Yes, of course. Okay, is he going to have another terrible season? No, maybe he scores 20 goals next year. But I don't think we're going to see James Neal at his peak again as a Calgary Flame. It just didn't seem to fit in my mind. So uh, I do think a trade would be ideal. The question is, does the taker, is there another team out there that believes that Neal can get back to what he was? Uh, And that's why I know there's been some rumors that people have mentioned the Edmonton Oilers. I think it was Elliot Freeman who said Edmonton. I don't know if we'd see the Calgary-Edmonton trade, but I think it's a good Mm -hmm. example of a possible fit. So I do think if you see Neil moved, it should be for a team with a a real dominant uh, 
puck distributing center that could feed Neil and put the puck on his stick for his good release. And I think if he could find that type of situation, maybe we see the old James Neal come back. But I'm not that optimistic. It's not like he's 25 years old. Do the Flames, I wonder if they would, I mean, would they be willing to eat? And I mean, things seem to fit so well in Vegas last year. Any chance? I mean, yeah. you know, you're getting wild here. I mean, Vegas is sure. kind of crushed. The hard thing is that you're, just, you're trying to think of you're maybe just Pittsburgh think of, again. Oh, Pittsburgh, yeah. yeah. It, it's th- what's tough is that he's got so many years left on his deal. Yeah. So to me, Edmonton, like the Edmonton idea, I, I kind of like because I think the Oilers are a team that might be desperate. Well, because that's what Edmonton right. needs is another old slow forward <laughs> who has troubles in the well, dressing room. I think, but Lucic goes the other way in the potential deal, right? Because Calgary, what did Calgary lack in the playoffs? They didn't have. Go Goaltending? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Actually, the goaltending was fine. No, the goaltending was fantastic. So Lucic yeah. comes in to play goal. Right. <laughs> but they did, they the did lack some size. <laughs> they lack some size. Uh, and I think so. If you're going to sort of each team scratches the other's back to escape a problem, and maybe each, each guy is what the other team needs more. Yeah. Mm. Um, Ted... At that guy, 11920. I feel like an idiot reading the handle. I really do. Just, just, do say, it. just say Ted. Uh, Ryan, Read will Peyton Krebs' parcel Achilles tear cause him to fall a bit in the draft? You know what? I, I don't think it will based on when it happened. If, if this had happened early in the season, then maybe some teams would have been a little more reticent. But because everybody knows what Peyton Krebs is capable of, You've got that body of work to investigate. And, you know, he was also good at the World Under-18s for Canada. Um, I I think that really helps where you just know that when you pick him now, he's not going to go right to the NHL. You know, obviously that expectation is at the window now. It's never good when a player that young misses development time. But Peyton Krebs has been in the WHL for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was a number one overall Bantam pick with the Kootenai Ice. Uh, they're now moving to be the Winnipeg Ice. And if anything, I, f- I feel sorry for the Winnipeg Ice because they really needed him <laughs> if they were going to make any sort of progress this season. So that's, that's tough for them. But I think whoever selects him in the NHL draft is going to say, okay, well, we know what he's all about. It's going to take a bit of extra time. We'll keep monitoring him when he gets back to junior. And you know, what you're left with is a very smart guy with a, a great tool set who has thrived under adversity on some pretty poor ice teams in the WHL. And yeah, it's unfortunate they got hurt, but um, you know he's he's still a pretty good prospect. I always feel like it's it's a short sighted notion that teams would pass. Or, I mean, maybe it's just a thought by a team that a team would ever pass on a guy based on. I mean, not that an Achilles is a minor injury, but right. like a kid like Krebs, he's gonna bounce back and he's gonna be a hell of an NHLer. I mean, and and pass on him, you know, would be silly to me. I would think so. And, you know, an example I would give is Tyler Benson, uh, who had a great year with the Bakersfield Condors. He's an Edmonton Oilers prospect. He missed a ton of time in junior with a a couple of different injuries, and it really seemed like he was snake-bitten. And, you know, it it affected his development. It took him a bit longer. But once he got to the AHL, you know, once he got those reps, he was really good. And again, that was a player who was a really high pick in the WHL draft, came in highly acclaimed. Uh, there was a lot of hype. And were it not for the injuries, he probably would have put up huge numbers. Um, as it was, you know, he was a good player. And now he's showing 
what his pedigree was all about. It was just like, yeah, as soon as he gets healthy and you know gets his legs under him, he should be good to go. And Tyler Benson demonstrated that this year. Uh, NY fan at NY fan sixteen sixteen. Way to get in early. Yeah. <laughs> Because I gotta figure, there's fans. gonna be thousands of Ranger fans out there. And, and Most NY of them fan, on Twitter. That could NY be Yankee fans. Yeah. I'm not Nick fans. Not Mets fans. Kudos to you, NY fan, for thinking of your name 16th. Yes. Uh, no kudos to your question though. Are the Rangers trading for? Def- uh, I guess okay, a defenseman like Truba. No. Who would the Rangers buy out? Why would the Rangers possibly want, in the midst of their rebuild, to bring on a guy like Truba? Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. And yes, Truba is young. He's 25 years old. But I think, uh, and I know, yes, the Rangers have been linked to Eric Carlson and reportedly one of the potential frontrunners. But I don't think that's going to happen either because the Rangers, everything is going so right for this team. They're finally doing it the right yes, way to rebuild. Right. And they're about to have picks number six and seven. Seven first-round picks in a stretch of three years. They made some good trades. They have some good kids coming over. They signed Adam Fox. It's like from a, from a prospect perspective, like they have the Midas touch right now. Yep. And you're going to get probably Kapokako, Vitaly Kravtsov's coming over, and everything that they've told me about him, the Rangers, uh, Gordy Clark, their, their head scout, it sounds like he's the kind of guy that might be able to go right to the NHL as well. They love him. And, of course, you've got Leah Sanderson, and then they've added, added a couple defensemen to the draft last year. So I, I just don't think there's a rush. And yes, Jacob Truba, uh, I don't think that's a deal you'd regret. Again, if you acquire him, you're, he's an, an RFA, you're probably going to sure. sign him to a long-term yeah. deal. Um, but I just don't know if the Rangers need to think that way yet. I think they're, unless it's like Henrik Lundqvist is driving the bus saying, please give me one more chance right. to contend. Uh, I, I think this is a year which for the Rangers. Which he's not. Yeah, which he's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think this is a year for the Rangers to, I, I think like next year, depending on which kids make the team, the Rangers have potential to be like this Really fun, young, exciting team. Yeah. We've never really described the Rangers that way, I don't know, ever. Uh, this has never been their team personality. So I think, and especially if you look at the Carlson example, if you're doing that, you're sort of regressing to the mindset that they had when they signed Kevin Shattenkirk. And now Shattenkirk would be, if if, if uh, NY fan is talking about buyouts, maybe Shattenkirk would be the, the candidate. But I don't think there's anybody on the team that they're looking to buy out either. So I think it's going to be conservative offseason for Jeff Gordon, and he's going to keep adding kids. I guess the only argument to bring on it, because, okay, so you, you get him, you sign him for eight. You know, you figure the Rangers are going to be able to contend again in three yeah, years? Yeah, I think three years. Okay, so you're still, you've are still you still got prime Truba then, because he's, what, 20, 25, so he'd be 28, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, sure. I mean, I guess it's just, the to me, where it doesn't make sense is Winnipeg's not going to give him away. No. So you're going to need to get something back, and so why would you trade assets at this point? Yeah, exactly. And it's mm-hmm. got to be. So- and Winnipeg would probably want someone who helps them win now because Winnipeg's in win now mode. So they'd say, "Well, we need Mika Zibanejad or something yes. like that." And the yeah. Rangers, well, that's our first line center, and that would, <laughs> you know, you're what, what's the expression? Robbing Peter to pay Paul, pay Paul. or something? Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. Whatever that yeah, expression yeah. is, it fits there. I think. I guess uh, if we're living in Fantasyland, Shattenkirk, you eat a bunch of his salary. Would you take Shattenkirk, and then you got a cheapy Shattenkirk to replace Trub on your defense? But that doesn't seem like style kind of so an different. I don't. Like You'd that. have to. I think the Rangers still have to add more. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's going to wrap up the mailbag and, in turn, wrap up the podcast. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, please go into thehockeynews.com, uh, check out our latest issue, subscribe if you would, and we'll be back next time after the Cup, and we'll know when the season is over, because that's the official end of the season, right? Or is the draft that ends the season? I don't know if the official end is. But it never or, ends. Yeah, I guess never. it never. It ends in August. 
Yeah. Season, anyways. Uh, yeah, a couple of yeah, We'll talk about the winner and uh, talk about the upcoming draft, talk about free agency, because the season, you're right. Who knows what the demarcation point is, but hockey never ends. <laughs>